This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. I'm talking about spiritual enlightenment concerning the blood covenant and its great significance for us. Without an understanding of the blood covenant, it's impossible for you to walk in and enjoy and appreciate and appropriate the things that God has done. One of the things we need to realize is that God has done it all from the beginning to the end. You had no part of it. It was offered you and you said, hey, I like it, I'm in. And what will it cost you? Your life. It's called blood covenant. It's called blood covenant. And we need to understand that. Now, when I say it's going to cost you your life, that does not mean you've got to go along and become a missionary in some foreign country. See, a lot of people run away from terminology like it's going to cost you your life, it's going to cost you everything. That means you've got to sell everything, give everything away, make yourself available, go and get trained, and then go and live in a tent out there in the, uh, the rural areas of Siberia. No, 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 no. No, we need to understand all that God wants you to do is come to a place where in your attitude of heart, you're saying, I belong to you. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Whatever you want. And of course, I think there's a measure of fear that comes to our hearts because we've heard people stand on platforms and say, don't tell God. Make, don't make yourself available and say to God that whatever you want me to do, I'll do it because he's going to take you at your word. Well, he is, but that doesn't mean he's going to place you somewhere in a remote area where you're not going to see a human face for three and a half months of the year. You know, that's ridiculous. So let's, uh, let's understand God, God planted you here. God's got you living where you, you... Some of you think, you know, that you made the moves that you made and you, and you made some wise decisions. Do you know that God's been orchestrating your life from before the foundation of the world? And the whole thing is planned out. You say, well, well, you know, all the bad things that come our way. No, 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 those bad things that come your way, just tests of character, tests of your faith. And God doesn't have to orchestrate it because the faith that you've got, if you're born again, the faith that you've got already is His faith. He knows that His faith will work. What we've got to learn to do is work in His faith. And you get the job done. So, are we okay? <laughs> there was a lot to say in the beginning. Let me give you just very, very quickly uh, a recap on the six main characteristics of blood covenant cutting. Now, the Old Testament word is a Hebrew word, bereth, and it means to cut where blood flows, to make an incision so that blood flows. You can't covenant with yourself. That'll be committing suicide, all right? So um, you covenant with another person or persons, but you need at least two people to enter into covenant relationship. And here are the characteristics of blood covenant uh, here are the characteristics are of blood covenant cutting. Number one, it's a life-binding covenant. For the duration of the covenant, the purpose for, his, uh, for its existence, it is life-binding. And that means that when you get into blood covenant relationship, if at any time before the, uh, the completion of the purpose for its existence, you break that covenant, you could pay for it with your life. In America, we've been educated out of it, but not the North American Indian. He understands blood covenant cutting. Secondly, the greater party always covenants with the lesser. The lesser may initiate some sort of thought, but the, the, the responsibility for making the decision rests with the greater one. So the greater tribe, the stronger tribe, 
the one that is able to overpower the weaker would make the decision, yes, we're going to covenant with him. So there has to be some benefit to the greater one in order to induce him to covenant with the lesser. Well, what was the inducement that God had? Do you realize that you are God's inheritance? Do you realize that? Do you realize that there is a hope that God has in you, the hope of glory? Glory is the manifestation of the presence of God. And He wants to radiate that presence through our lives, wherever we are. See? How else does the world get to know that God is alive except through His people? So God looked for a people through whom He could radiate His life manifest himself to a world that is needy. God so loved the world. He loves them enough to send Jesus to die for the world. But he made us different to the angels and the rest of creation. He made us with a will and the right to exercise it. And you can, so can your loved ones, set their will against God. Then the symbolism of the covenant is, of blood sharing is this, that two lives become one. The transfer of blood, the intermingling, the life is in the blood. And when blood is transferred from one to the other, life is being transferred. And when life is transferred, that which existed as two individuals in the past now becomes a single new individual. Number four, the parties entering the covenant are known as the covenant heads. The heads of the family, Abraham and his family entered into covenant. Now they didn't all enter into covenant, they weren't all present there, but Abraham as the covenant head entered into covenant with God. And everything that Abraham committed to do, the rest of his family are committed to do. And they indicated their involvement with covenant relationship by doing what God required of Abraham. Blood had to flow. And Abraham, we read, circumcised himself at 99 years of age and all the men of his household as God required. So the moment that blood covenant was entered into by Abraham, God did something quite incredible. God started blessing Abraham. God hadn't signed the contract yet. A blood covenant is entered into by parties and when all the parties to the covenant have bled, the covenant is ratified. The covenant becomes effective. But how, did, how does God bleed? See, Abraham didn't understand that, but God is in the process from Genesis 15 and onwards. God's in the process of cutting covenant with Abraham. God is initiating this. God is moving the whole scenario to a place where he ultimately is going to bleed. But God doesn't operate in a time frame. Abraham receives what God says by faith. And he says, yeah, I want in on the deal. And the minute that he commits himself, God starts blessing according to covenant commitment. And the interesting thing about it is God makes some incredible statements to Abraham. And uh, Abraham in the natural never saw a whole lot of them come to pass other than blessing him financially. He never saw his natural seed apart from Isaac. 
God said to him, I'm going to make your natural seed like the sand by the seashore. As multiplied and multifold as the dust of the earth. That's how your natural seed are going to come outside the tent, Abraham. Look up there in the stars. Picture of spiritual seed. And have a look there. That's how your spiritual seed is going to be. Abraham has a look at this and he says, uh, you said it, I'm going to trust you. But when he died, he had one person. It was his natural seed, Isaac. He saw it with the eye of faith. He said, I, I'm, in a, I'm limited to a dimension called time. You're not. And so whatever you tell me, I'm going to believe it, and I'm going to act on it as though it's already done. And God blessed him because of his faith. All right? Then you've got number five. You've got the terms of the covenant uh, called the law of the covenant. These are the things, the blessings and the curses that govern the covenant. And you can read about that in Deuteronomy 28. You've got some great, you've got a great illustration there of the blessings and the curses if you were to break the covenant. And we're going to have a look at that this morning as well. And then the sign of the covenant was uh, there was an incision that was made in order for the blood to flow. And what they would do is they would initially, when this first happened, they would take ash and they would apply ash to the wound. And then as it, uh, as it healed, the mark of the ash would be retained in the arm. Um, we talked about missionaries that had cut covenant with tribes and they walked around with all these covenant marks in their arms. Uh, an indication that they're in blood covenant relationship. Uh, in places like Asia and Africa, those things are still operative today. Now, there are four ways of entering into covenant relationship. Blood covenant. First of all, it's cutting the wrists and decanting the blood into a goblet, which is, is mixed with wine. Now, I want you to listen very carefully because, you see, a lot of what goes on starts off as truth and ends up as perversion. Uh, Satan is the great perverter of truth. Satan does not have an original thought. Not an original thought. What Satan does is he takes that which God has produced and he perverts it. You see, hatred, if you analyze hatred, is love perverted. See? Fear is faith perverted. Faith in God turned around so that it, it will do exactly what faith does it will attract. Fear attracts. Fear is faith in the devil's ability to do to you what he says he's going to do. That's what fear is. I'm going to kill you. You'll never make it. Your business will go under. See? And those thoughts dwelt on attract like a magnet, just like faith does. Now, the first way of cutting the covenant is cutting wrists and decanting the blood into wine. This is where the covenant heads will share the content. Now, that method of decanting blood into wine and then the covenant heads partaking of that is unscriptural and it's not of God. God's Word declares a number of times that you are not to drink blood. Genesis 9, verses 3 and 4, Leviticus 9, 4, and Leviticus 17, 10 talk about the... the God's abomination 
of this process of drinking blood. All right? So the method uh, uh, that, that we've just talked about, where blood is decanted into a container mixed with wine and drunk, gave rise to the beginning of cannibalism. Now, this is what, uh, this is what happens, you see. They got hold of the truth, conceptually, of blood covenant cutting. In blood covenant cutting, if we share our blood, we become one. Now, I want you to see the great significance of this because today, the greatest expression of blood covenanting should be marriage. See? That's covenant together, where the man loses his identity, the woman loses her identity, and the two become one as a married couple. So it's no, no longer me pursuing my interests, her pursuing her interests, it's we pursue our interests. And so when two people covenant, they, if you like, lose identity and they take on a new identity. That's what happened when you got born again. When you got born again, you gave your life to Jesus. Uh, do you ever hear that terminology? You remember that? Will you give your life to Jesus? It's very significant. Because in the giving of my life to Jesus, it means I'm putting aside myself and I'm going to take on this new identity of what? God living on the inside of me. He and I becoming one. That's what the Christian life is. That's why Paul can say in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ, he's a brand new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Why? Because I'm one with him. See, he's not six million light years removed from me. So the, the thinking uh, in this uh, where that gave rise to cannibalism was this. If I drink the blood, we become one. Therefore, if I eat his arm, I'll have his strength. If I eat his leg, see, I'll get his speed. If I eat his heart, I'll get his length of days. I'll have his length of days added to mine and I will live for a long time. So I'll live longer and stronger and quicker if I eat him all. <laughs> all right, that's, that's the way that, that's the mentality, you see. Now the second way of entering into covenant relationship is substituting the blood of animals for, a human, uh, for human blood. The Old Testament is full of these accounts. You know, somebody said, that Bible, it's a, it, it, it's, a, it's a bloody book. It's blood all over the place. You're right. You're right. Both the old and the new. And remember, 1 Corinthians 15, 46 tells us that that which was first was not spiritual, but natural. And afterwards, that which is spiritual. And when we have a look at the Old Covenant, which is filled with blood, it has to be if it's a covenant book. It was filled with the blood of animals, innocent animals that gave their lives for us, for the children of Israel of that day. 
And when they'd sinned, the children of Israel, the animal was taken. Animal never sinned. But it gave its life and its blood was poured out to atone. And the word atone means cover. And it covered over the sin. And when God looked down, God didn't see the sin anymore. He saw the innocent paying for the guilty. The sin was covered with blood. And that's why, you see, Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 6 tells us that we have a better covenant established upon better promises. We're going to deal with that in a couple of weeks when we get around there. But at the moment, we're dealing with the Old Testament way, the Hebrew way, and that is bereth, to make an incision where blood flows. Hebrews 8 and 6 tells us that we have a better covenant established upon better promises. Why? One of the better promises is this. Jesus' blood, he is the antitype. He's the substance of the foreshadowing. The foreshadowing were all the animals of the Old Testament who gave their life and their blood covered the sin. Jesus comes along. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world and His blood didn't cover sin. It washed it away. It removed it from before the face of God. And God remembers it no more. So you had this animal being a substitute, a type of Jesus. And then uh, the third way that you enter into covenant relationship was to cut wrists and bind them together. Now, this is, the, this is the Bible way of entering into covenant. If you had two people entering into covenant relationship, they would make an incision in the right hand. The right hand is the hand of power and ability. When my right hand is extended in a handshake, you can see I'm not carrying any hidden weapon. You can see what the attitude of my heart should be if I'm a person of integrity. When I put my hand out, it means I come in friendship. I come in peace. See? And they would, uh, they would make an incision in the wrists of the people entering into covenant, the, the right wrist, and they would then bind right hand to right hand like that. And they would tie the two together. And the binding was significant in that they thought blood passed from one body into the other body and from one body into the other, bringing the two together. I now, long, I now no longer am myself. I'm now in a covenant relationship with my covenant partner. It's blood. We're a new creation. All right? Anybody here see Ben-Hur? Do you remember when, uh, when Ben-Hur meets Masala, his friend that he grew up with, and they greet each other. They haven't seen each other for years, and they greet each other, and they, when they greet, they didn't shake hands. They clasped like that. That's blood covenant. That's the whole purpose. That's the, that's the significance of it. We're in covenant together. See? Nice to reintroduce that. Some old thought. Great significance. See, people come along, and um, I've had it happen to me. How many, probably some of you have had this happen to you too. And the person puts their hand out, and you know they've been assassinating your character all week long. And they're smiling. And you look at this, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm not in covenant with you. I really don't want to shake your hand. But now you're the pastor, you see. <laughs> and the people are going to think you're just ugly and walking in the flesh. And they don't know what this guy's been doing. 
but you know, and you think, should I, shouldn't I, should I? Let him just freeze out there for a while. <laughs> no, no, no. It's very difficult because, you see, we've lost a whole lot of that. When we talk about covenant meal, uh, we don't understand. We're going to have a look at covenant meal. Uh, there is a meal of the covenant where we get together and we fellowship with each other. Its background is covenant meal is a time for family to get together. Family where when you walk in the front door, you can take your armor off and you can be yourself. And it doesn't matter what we see, we're going to love you. When we have communion, that's why Paul is so strong in his teaching regarding this being for those who are in covenant relationship. It's a covenant meal. It's where you sat around and you just shared from the depths of your heart. It was a time of great intimacy in the natural family when they had a meal. The meal at the end of the day probably took three to four hours. And they would lie around in couches and they would just share the events of their day with the family. It's intimacy. When a, when a person came in, a stranger came in, they would feed him. He would not be included in that meal. Only those who were close were included in that meal. And then, of course, the fourth way is to cut the palms of the hands and clasp them together. Now, don't write me any letters, but I love Westerns. I love Clint Eastwood. I, the outlaw Je Josie Wales, I love it. Now, if you have a look at the outlaw Josie Wales, he, goes, he covenants with the Red Indian chief. And he, he makes an incision in his palm, the palm of his hand and they clasp it together. They're blood covenanting together. You see? Do you remember Dances with Wolves? They do the same, same thing. And that's why you remember right at the end of Dances, uh, the guy that, that was always sort of opposed to him, when he is leaving, the, the guy takes his horse and he rides to the top of the, the cliff there and he starts calling out his name. He says, I will tell of you. That's covenant commitment. I know who you are. You're my covenant brother. It doesn't matter where you go. People will hear about you. See? It's covenant commitment. Oh, I wish we could get back to that. I really do. I wish we could get back to that where we could be honest and open and upfront with each other. I believe that's what God requires. Now, let me talk just for a few minutes about the significance of blood friendship. Now, you don't have to turn there, but in Leviticus 17 from verses 10 through 14, there are, that's a very significant passage, and God establishes a principle there, and He makes the statement, the life of the flesh is in the blood. Now, remember, we're dealing with blood covenant, all right? So the life of the flesh is in the blood. If the blood is drained out, the life leaves the body. That's why God, in that particular passage, gives instructions to hunters. If you're going to go along and you're going to hunt, even if you're hunting for the pot, you, when you clean the animal, the blood falls into the ground. You're to cover it. You're to cover it. Blood is sacred. It's life. And it comes from God. Without blood in your body, you're dead. 
That's just the bottom line, all right? Now, in blood covenant relationship, this is the way that it works. If I give my blood to someone, I'm giving them my life. If the life is in the blood and I'm giving my blood, I'm giving my life. If he gives me his blood, he's giving me his life. Jesus gave us his blood and he gave us consequently his life. And if I give my life to Derek, see, and Derek gives his life to me, then we are no more two lives. We are now one life. Have a look. This is, you see, this is what Jesus was talking about. John chapter 6. Go to John chapter 6, would you? This is what Jesus was talking about here. And, uh, and, and the people of his day got real mad with him. Jesus, the, the New Testament, Jesus' ministry, Paul do, dealing with the church, this is all covenant relationship talk. You see, we, we, had, we had Clark Taylor here, and he talked about, you know, he's my best friend. Well, I want you to see the significance of that term. Jesus, in John 6, verse 53 says to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. He's talking blood covenant relationship. If He gives me His blood, He's giving me His life. If I don't enter into covenant with Him, I don't experience His life. You can be good, moral, upright, honest, a person of integrity, and be outside of that covenant relationship, and you don't have life. Life is only to be found in a covenant relationship with Jesus, and you can't have any other kind of relationship with Him. There is only one kind of relationship with Him, and that's covenant relationship. And that's what Jesus is talking about there. Have a look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 very quickly, just on the same vein. See what Paul, uh, writing to the church at Corinth, says. Verse 17. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Amen? One spirit. You see, that, I believe that's how God checks us out. God, God knows those are His. How? By the Spirit. He knows whether His Spirit is in us. He knows that. We get mad and in the flesh and upset about things. That's not His Spirit. God doesn't get mad, upset, want to do people injury. We do that when we get in the flesh. See? God doesn't get in the flesh. God is love. And he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. How do I get joined to the Lord? Through covenant relationship. How do I get joined to my wife? Covenant relationship. You're not joined to your wife because you have sex with her. That's carnal knowledge. That's the way the world thinks. That's not joined to your wife. Do you know that there are people who are married, living under the same roof and have no marriage? You know they've got a certificate that's 35 years old and they have no marriage? That's not joined to your partner. You join to your partner because the two of you have lost your own identity and now we're living for each other. That's what Christianity is. See, I've lost my identity. 
I'm living for him. Why? His life. He gave his life. He gave his blood. He gave his life. I've got a new life in Christ Jesus. He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. And that's how he identifies his children through the spirit that is within us. I'm not even talking Holy Spirit manifestation. I'm not talking jumping up and jumping pews and running around and doing that. I'm not talking that. I'm talking about here. See, that's why Paul, writing to the church at Rome, makes this comment. He says, how do you know that you're born again? The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. Spirit to spirit. I'm not born again because I raise my hand at a meeting. I'm not born again because I attend church every Sunday. I'm not born again because I read my Bible. I'm not born again because I'm married to a person who's born again. I'm born again because the Spirit bears witness with my spirit that I'm a son of God, a daughter of God, a child of God. The Spirit bears, I've got the peace. If I walk out there and a Mack truck nails me, not a problem, it's under your body. I step right out of that mangled mess into the presence of the Lord. See? Fear can't dominate you. Now, I, I, I want to get, uh, sorry, I, I was going to give you one more scripture there, and that's Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 30. We're talking here about intimacy with God and the kind of relationship. For we are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. See? That's intimacy. Well, how did we arrive there? How did we arrive at that integrated state? Through covenant relationship. That's God's ideal for the marriage. That's God's ideal for the body of Christ. We're, because of our individual personal covenanting with Him, we have a covenant with each other that extends to every area of our lives. And I don't do anything against you to injure you, hurt you, pull you down. Because when I do that, I'm hurting myself because we're part of the body. Same body. All right, now, Jesus gave his life for his friends, okay? Now, here's a very important word, the word friend. I'm going to just read you a scripture. You can make a note of the address if you're taking notes. Proverbs 18.24 says this, A man who has friends must himself be friendly. And then it goes on and says, And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Amen. Now, if you just look at that at face value, we're talking friends here. The first two occasions that that friend, or the word friend, is mentioned in that verse, you are talking about friend on a very superficial level. A man who has friends must find himself friendly. The word in the Hebrew there is the word rea. And rea basically means any kind of acquaintance, whether it's close or even superficial. All right? It is, gee, I know that person. I know them. I've met them. We've, we've mooched around together. We've done a bunch of things, and that's fine. But there's no covenant commitment. That's friendship. Acquaintance, I think, is a far better word. 
But when I have a look at the rest of that verse, it says, and there is a friend. Now, we're not talking there about the word Reah. We're talking there about the word Ahab. And Ahab speaks of intimacy of covenant relationship. There is a person with whom you can come into a covenant relationship who there is a friend that sticketh closer than a blood brother, born of the same parents, born of the same mother, the same father. You say, man, they're blood brothers, they're tight, they're family. You know, this scripture is telling me that my personal relationship with the Lord is one which transcends that. Intimacy with Jesus through covenant relationship brings me into a degree, a dimension of relationship that I can't even know with my blood brother. There is a friend, and that word friend is a blood covenant term. When it says Abraham was known as the friend of God, it wasn't his buddy. He's talking covenant talk. And you'll find that in two, uh, in, in two arenas or two scripture areas. Second uh, Chronicles 20 verse 7, Jehoshaphat is praying in the temple and he starts mentioning a number of things. He's talking to God, if you just read the passage. And then he turns around to God and he talks about God and the way that God moved the seed of Abraham, thy friend forever. He's talking covenant relationship. Far deeper than blood born of the same parent, far deeper. And that's why you see commitment in terms of blood covenant transcends human relationships that are based purely on blood connection. The other place that you talk that you read about the seed of Abraham thy friend is Isaiah 41 verse 8 the seed of Abraham, thy friend. And of course we know that in the New Testament, Abraham was known as the friend of God. When God is using the word friend, he's talking about blood covenant relationship. Now, the reason that that is important is because when you start examining, then there are nine steps to cutting the covenant. Now, many times in the scripture when covenant is being described, the cutting of the covenant takes place and you won't get all nine steps recorded for you. But the, the, the whole language of what is taking place makes it very clear that they're entering into blood covenant relationship. Step number one in blood covenant relationship is this. There is an exchange of coats, or an exchange of outer robes. This is the significance. The Hebrew was known by what he wore. You could walk down the streets of Jerusalem and you could identify who was what, what his position was in life, what his station was in life, what his station was socially, whether he was a religious man, a man of the cloth, quote, end of quote, or not. And you did that purely by looking at the outer coat that he wore. Underneath that, he wore a bunch of other things. But that outer coat, that outer garment, reflected who he was. 
That coat was him. Now you start getting some understanding of the significance of Joseph's coat. Okay? The father doted on him and gave him this very significant coat. It wasn't, it's not out of the cultural style. It was right there because they understood that. So Jesus walks down and ministers to a number of people. Here comes a rich young ruler. How did they know? By his coat. Not necessarily even the quality. It would be the cut. It would be the adornment. Obviously the quality, if he was wealthy, would come into it. They would know his station in life through the coat. So when you had a Hebrew entering into covenant, he, the first thing he would do is take off his coat. His coat represented him. This is him. When you look at this coat, you know who I am. You know what I've got. You know where I'm coming from. You understand? And so when they entered into covenant, they would ex the first step was to exchange coats. And this is what they were saying. All that I am, all that I have, now becomes yours. I want you to get that. You see, because in 1 Samuel, go across there. 1 Samuel, please. 1 Samuel chapter... Verse 1, And it came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Verse 3, Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul, the greater covenants with the lesser. Jonathan is covenanting with David. David's a shepherd boy. David's a nobody. Something spiritual took place between these two when David stood there and took Goliath out. He had nothing to offer. He had nothing to bring. Only thing he had was a reputation. I took down a ten foot high giant. What did you do? That's all he had to bring. And Jonathan's soul is knit with him because he loved him as his own. Now look at verse 4. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him. Who was Jonathan? Jonathan is the son of the king. Jonathan is the heir apparent. Jonathan is the next in line to the throne. Not only does he know it, but his garments make it very clear what his station is in life. And he strips himself of that and he gives it to David. Was he operating prophetically? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. See, he didn't take off his coat and give it to David because it was cold. 
He's covenanting. He's entering into covenant relationship. And what he is saying is, this is me. All that I am and all that I possess, I am now giving it to you. You now possess all that I am. You now possess all that I have. Blood covenant relationship. Step one, the exchange of coats. Now go to Genesis chapter 15. If you thought that was significant, bear it in mind as you have a look at how significant this is. Genesis chapter 15. The first step in cutting covenant is an exchange of that which represents me. And here it comes. After, verse 1, after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram. I am. Right there. Right there. Those two words. I am. God starts covenanting. God gives himself. He doesn't wear a coat. God gives himself in covenant commitment to Abraham. I am. Not I will be. Not I was. I am. I am. God gives himself to Abraham in covenant. The God of all creation. The God of heaven and earth stands there and says, I am. Hmm. Hmm. El Shaddai. Everything that you need, I am. Here I am. I don't wear a coat. I am. I'm giving myself. I am. God covenants and he commits himself before Abraham has opened his mouth. See? I am. Now, step number two is there is an exchange of belts. An exchange of belts. Now, let's understand this. We're going to close on this one. But let's understand this. The belt that was worn in those days wasn't there to keep their pants up. All right? What the belt did was it brought all their armor together. The breastplate, the dagger, the sword in a sheath, even the quiver for the arrows was hooked onto the belt. And what they, what they did was they exchanged belts. And the significance is this. They were saying to each other, I'm giving you all my strength and all my ability to fight and defend yourself. 
Anybody who attacks you is attacking me, even though they don't know it. Let them see the covenant mark. All my ability to protect, all the power that I have is at your disposal. You are my covenant partner. Your battles become mine. I will fight for you. I will defend you. I will help you. And I will protect you. Everything at my disposal, every ability that I've got to ensure that you are kept safely, I'm placing at your disposal in our covenant commitment to each other. Well, what did God do? You're in Genesis chapter 15, aren't you? God says in verse 1, I am. And then he goes on and says, Thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. I am thy shield and defender. I am thy high tower. I am the strength of thy right hand. Anybody who comes in against you is going to have to have me to deal with. You say, well, why doesn't it happen? Because the majority of Christians aren't walking by faith in that kind of covenant understanding. You can't walk in what you don't know. Oh, we've heard the scriptures. But this is, the, this is why this is so important. It lays the foundation. You're not out there blowing in the wind by yourself. I've got a covenant with the God of the universe. I had somebody who, who, who didn't invited somebody to, to come along to one of the meetings. And when they left, they, they said, uh, they asked the friend that they'd brought along, well, how did you, how did you enjoy it? And, and the friend's response was, oh, he's arrogant. There's a difference between arrogance and great confidence in God. I don't know everything, but I want you to know something. I, if I... If I get snatched into eternity at any time. I'd much rather go believing God than not believing God. I'd much rather go walking in my covenant to the best of my ability than not walking in the covenant. I'd rather know what is mine and attempt to walk in that. It's from the Word of God. I'd much rather go that way than not trusting Him. You don't want to be caught out in eternity with not trusting God. See? And my attitude is, I've got confidence in God. When God says that it applies to me, I'm sorry about you. If you don't believe it, that's your baby, not mine. But I'm going to do my best to walk in this, to receive it, appropriate it, and enjoy it. When God says, I'm your shield and your defender, I say, I believe it. I believe it. I can't invoke covenant for you, but boy, I'll tell you, I can invoke that promise for me. Had to laugh at Angela. We were traveling down to San Antonio some time back. And she said, Dad, I'm so glad I'm traveling with you. I said, why? She said, because I know nothing will happen to the plane. <laughs> yeah, can't. Why? I'm not finished yet. See, I'm not finished yet. The devil can't kill me until you know, I've done my job. Even then I won't let him. But you understand what I'm saying? Don't, don't give any room to the devil. Fear brings in that kind of concern. So we need to understand. And, and if you have a look there in, in uh, verse, verse 1, God says, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. It makes me think immediately of Hebrews chapter 6, verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 6. 
For without faith it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. Is what? Is what I need him to be. Here in Genesis 15, 1, he said, I am. I have to believe that he is. Is what? Whatever I need him to be. If I need him to be Jehovah Rapha, he's Jehovah Rapha. If I need him to be Jehovah Jireh, he's Jehovah Jireh. If I need him to be El Shaddai, he's El Shaddai. But I've got to believe it. He's a rewarder. I must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Are you diligently seeking him? Or you just got a sort of glancing acquaintance with him? When I come into his presence, I come in in order to get what he has promised for me. I don't go in for religious reasons. I don't go there because I've got nothing better to do. I go there, Father, I'm in your presence. The great I am is here. I believe that you are and that you're a rewarder. And I'm coming to you because I've got this area of need. And you're a rewarder of them that diligently seek you. And when I leave you, I'm taking with me the answer to that situation. That's why I'm coming into your presence. Amen?